Country music. I love country music. Country music. Country music. The future of country music's looking good. I love it. Country confidential. That was the first song I ever wrote, and I, I couldn't strum you one chord on it, but that sent me down the path of truly loving, true loving putting feelings on paper and uh, words to music. Country confidential. What's the first thing that comes to your mind when I say country music? Maybe for you it's an artist, maybe it's Nashville bars, maybe it's just a cold beer with loved ones. But for me, songwriters come to mind. For decades, Music Row in Nashville has housed some of the best songwriters that have dreamed up some of your favorite songs. Without songwriters, the genre wouldn't even exist. Isn't that kind of weird to think about? But these country music musicians paint pictures that make us want to cry, dance, or just party. I got to sit down with Graylin James, Wyatt McCubbin, John Morgan, Caitlin Smith, and Nico Moon to talk all about their experiences on Music Row in Nashville. But you guys know me, I want to dig a little bit deeper. I want all of the secrets and untold stories about their experience. I'm your host, Backstage Bobby, and this is Country Confidential Song Fighters. Just like other country music greats, Kenny Chesney and Chet Atkins, singer-songwriter Graylin James calls Knoxville, Tennessee his hometown. It's really no surprise that he ended up in music. I'm going to be a country music star, is what he told everybody when he was younger, that that's where he wanted to end up with his life. But Graylin made the move to Nashville at 18 to pursue his dreams and was quickly writing hits for people like Blake Shelton, Chris Young, Chris Jansen, and even his hometown friend, Kenny Chesney. He has had a career that even seasoned country music veterans would be jealous of. But like any great success story, Graylin had a humble beginning. No, I, I definitely played sports growing up. Uh, that was kind of like what you did in uh, North Knoxville where I, where I got my raisin. And, uh, but I was blessed. I had this guy that's like picking up on my shoulder right here. Uh, he grew up like five minutes down the road from uh, where I grew up. And it, he was always just a guy that kind of like set the precedent for country music in East Tennessee and, you know, brought it back. But uh, yeah, I was blessed. You know, Chet Atkins before him grew up in uh, Knoxville and, uh, it was a Dolly Parton lived right up the road in Pigeon Forge. So, you know, music was always like just in the water out there. It was the something in the water. You know, we did have great sports teams, Peyton Manning uh, at the University of Tennessee. But uh, I chose the music path. I just loved it. And uh, I did grow up around it. My papaw loved Chet Atkins. He was uh, a big fan of him. And so uh, for my fifth birthday, my papaw bought me a little toy guitar. And uh, I don't think anybody imagined me to take it seriously. But uh, I turned that little toy the guitar into a job and a dream. And uh Next thing I know, I'm 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 on here with you. So if you're wondering who was peeking over Graylin's shoulder, it was none other than Kenny Chesney. But I'll tell you a little bit more about that later. I love that Graylin turned that little guitar into a dream job. But I was really dying to know when did he first get the idea that he really could be a songwriter. I didn't really know about the whole like co-writing thing, songwriting uh, occupation until uh, I moved here when I was 18. Uh, I'd written songs by myself, you know, about little uh, middle school girlfriends that I had uh, when I was 12 or 13 years old. And actually, uh, I wrote a song like when my grandmother passed away. That was the first song I ever wrote when I was 11. And uh, so I went in the studio with that. And uh, my parents still have a little CD from uh, when I was a little baby. 
so that was my first song I ever written, but I didn't really know about the occupation and uh, how serious and amazing it was and until I moved here and then I got here and uh, I signed to my first publishing deal to a guy named Bob DePiro, who's a Hall of Fame songwriter. So I got to learn my chops from him and uh, some of his buddies and I got to kind of see up close what it was and how special of a of a job that it is that you get to tell stories that uh, people live their lives to. I've loved it. I fell in love with it. I got the bug and I've been doing it ever since. It's been a common thread with a lot of these artists that they had no idea that songwriting was even a job. That's just so crazy to me, especially considering that those same artists are absolutely killing the songwriting game right now, just like Graylin. But he's been writing songs since he was 11, and now he's writing with some Music Row legends. So I was really curious to know how he feels that he's grown since writing that first song. You know what? Uh, a ton. I still can't believe sometimes uh, that I'm on songs that uh, people I hear on the radio are singing. I, I can't believe that I got to write with them. And sometimes I'm sitting in the room. Like today, I get to write with Matt Ramsey from Old Dominion. And, uh, you know, it's just like look, when he walks in, you know, like I've written with those guys before, but, you know, just sometimes when you're sitting there, you're like, I can't believe that I'm doing this. Uh, I'll tell you what, you know, really about four years ago, um, it was when it really kind of all started to click for me. Um, I had lost a publishing deal, that same publishing deal I was talking about earlier. I lost it, and I was thinking I had to apply at Home Depot, and I was going to work there. And I was like, oh, my God. So I was having to write with people that didn't have publishing deals that worked at – that had day jobs, and I had to figure out how to write great songs that uh, would get me another publishing deal. And that's really what kind of turned the tide for me. I learned how to write great songs by myself and being able to, to kind of come up with things myself and uh, do it that way and – that kind of changed it all for me, and ever since, I've just uh, I've just been doing it, and I've gotten lucky a handful of times and gotten songs on records and on the radio. I love that Graylin talks about having to learn how to write songs alone. I personally think that's a wonderful trait to have, but like he said, he's been on countless albums and even been on the radio. I wanted to know a little bit more about that first big major label cut. You know what? My first cut ever was a Chris Jansen cut. That was my first ever major label cut. And I've been signed uh, to Universal, uh, the publishing deal I'm in now. I've been signed there two months, and I, I remember telling uh, the girl that worked at the front desk, I'm like, I don't, I think I'm probably going to get dropped after a year. I think they're going to fire me. I'm not that good. And then uh, I just was very insecure. I'd never had any success. I lived here about four or five years. And uh, I just didn't, I, I didn't feel like anybody cared what I was doing. And then uh, I wrote with a guy named Tommy Cecil and another guy named James McNair who wrote uh, uh, I'm in love with loving on you for uh, uh, Luke Combs. And that was before that had ever happened. And we were all just uh, – we we're just trying to make our way, and then we wrote this song, and Chris Jansen somehow heard it. It was called Check. Chris Jansen loved it. He he kind of dug in on it himself and uh, changed a little bit of it and made his record. And then uh, that kind of like got it going for me, and I got I got three songs on that uh, Chris Jansen album. That kind of changed everything, and I got confidence, and uh, it was a rocket ship from there. Confidence is key in any career. It's easy to compare your journey to those around you. We all don't see everybody's struggles, though. Like Graylin, for example. We see a thriving artist who's constantly perfecting his craft now, but there were definitely days that he faced a lot of adversity. I, I lived in a really bad house, and uh, yeah, it's hard to be creative and write country songs when you're, uh, you're living in a city and you're living in uh, kind of not great conditions and uh, all you're thinking about. But I tell you what, it, it, really, uh, it really makes you respect your imagination on how to... Uh, to make yourself feel at home. And so when you're writing, you know, I think that's the point of a song is to make people feel at home and feel comforted and uh, 
feel like their their thoughts and emotions are not just their own that other people are going through them too and uh so you know i i think the struggles really uh test your imagination which you know i think is the uh the foundation of being a songwriter um so you know i, I was lucky i'll tell you what some of the best times of my life were when i, I had no cuts and i was just writing i was just i, I was free-minded I, I felt like nobody was going to hear my songs anyway and I was like, I'm just going to write whatever and just see what happens. And uh, that's some of the most fun times I've had writing songs. Uh, you know, sure, it's fun now to, you know, know there's potential to get songs on the radio. But back then, when I was just writing songs just to have fun, and I was like, ah, you know, this is never going to be heard by the masses. Uh, that was a lot of fun. And I, I, I find myself missing those days a lot. Respect your imagination. Wow. I just got goosebumps. After hearing that answer, I think it really became clear to me that Graylin has a tight grasp on his craft. But something I love to ask songwriters is whether or not they think a bridge is necessary for a song. And I really loved Graylin's answer. You're asking the wrong guy. I love bridges. I love it. You know, I, I'm not one of those guys that writes a song in, a, in an hour or two like a lot of uh, guys in Nashville do. I, I think uh, I've probably got a reputation around here for being really slow at uh, the songwriting process. Cause uh, yeah, I, I do feel now like you know what songs live forever, and um, it's getting to the point now where I, I know that some of my songs have the opportunity to live forever. So I, I want to be able to tell people in five years or in two years or in a year that yeah, I, you know that I wrote that song and I'm proud of it. Because uh, I've had some stinkers slip through the slip through the cracks that I'm like, oh my god, we did not spend any time on that. So I definitely think I, I love getting to the second verse and bridge. Uh, I love a full second verse and I love a full bridge. And uh, I'm proud to say some a lot of my releases uh, that have been on Big Artists have uh, pretty uh, extravagant bridges uh, and so that we spend a lot of time on. Um, so I'm proud of that. Yes, I think you need a bridge. I think it's uh, – if you've made it that far listening to it, you deserve a little reward. Come on. If y'all haven't listened to some of Graylin's big cuts, his bridges are pretty great. But his cut for Kenny Chesney was no exception. So I asked him a little bit about his experience when he found out that the country music legend was going to cut his song. You know, I was actually napping when I got that phone call. And uh, I just had no idea. Like, I, I, I was very... Uh, I was not informed on the situation that day that he was recording and that my song was uh, uh, one of the four or five songs that he was recording that day. I had no idea. And then uh, I got a text and I was like, oh my God, like he's recording it right now. It's crazy. But uh, yeah, you know, it, it, like I said, you know, back back to when I was five years old, I mean, I've told Kenny this in person, uh, I'm pointing to him like he's sitting right there. He kind of is, but uh, I got to tell him, you know, that, uh, you know, when I was five years old on that toy guitar that I mentioned earlier, I'd I'd cut out a picture from People Magazine and taped it to the body of the guitar just because I loved him that much. And I, I had puka shells. I had the straw cowboy hat. I dressed up as him for Halloween uh, for probably four or five years in a row. And it it's kind of a creepy story the more you get into it. But um, I got to meet him one time. I, I played in a little bluegrass band when I was uh, 10 or 11 years old. And I got to meet him uh, backstage at that show in Knoxville. And uh, it was a benefit show. And I got the brief a minute and a half meet and greet real quick. And he gave me a little bit of advice to write songs and stay in school. And, uh, I did half of that. And, uh, and so, you know, I, it's just incredible. And, you know, when I moved here, I would have never thought that that was even a, uh, a possibility to get to work with, uh, Kenny Chesney. And I wrote that song and I, I honestly was like, it, it was nothing special. I didn't, I, like I said, you know, confidence, we talked about it earlier that, it's it's a it's a wild thing because I had none of it at that time and uh, that day I had no idea what we had written and uh, 
when I got the call that he he was recording it, and then I got the call from him that he was going to put it on the radio. It, it was one of the, it was definitely one of those. I picked up my dog, I ran outside, and I knew my life had changed. And uh, for him to be the guy that changed it, it's just uh, you couldn't you couldn't write it any better. And uh, I'm just blessed to be part of that story and that song. I've got a handful that he's recorded for his uh, next project that he's working on, and uh, and there's a couple songs on there that you know I've got to get a little more personal now. That he knows me, and that uh, we've we've talked a good bit and uh, gotten kind of close and. I'm able to send him songs that uh, really relate to how we grew up, specifically in Knoxville. And so um, those songs will hopefully be coming out soon. And uh, they, they do speak to that to a good bit. Uh, and because it, it is crazy being from the same hometown and uh, his mom cut my hair growing up. So it's just uh, it, it's a crazy thing. And that, that Chicago show, you know, that was a. Uh, really the first time I'd gotten to see him live like that. And uh, my story, I, I posted my story about what we're talking about right now on TikTok and just days before it had gone viral. So every, every time that like Kenny Chesney enters my life, it's uh it's a really serendipitous moment. And uh, it, it's just wild. I can't believe I'm part of it. You have to go back and stream Happy Does. I really think it's one of Graylin's best. And of course, I'm so excited to hear these new songs that he's going to have on Kenny Chesney's new project. But now, Graylin is just starting to perform some of those songs that he's written for himself. So I wanted to know how a great songwriter, like Graylin, handles the heartache of giving away those songs. I, I didn't think it was going to be a, uh, a hard thing, um, but it is, uh, it's getting hard. It's getting harder. We actually had this conversation last week uh, with management and my publishing company and talking about songs, you know, because, uh, you know, I, I do have to take a, a, t a leap of faith with myself, you know, because I am uh, a little further from the radio than somebody, you know, say like Matt Ramsey is. You know, they got a, a massive following and, you know, those kind of songs can change my life a lot faster than my own. But it does uh, get to the point where I got to believe in myself and believe in my fans and uh, and what I'm, what I'm building and growing with. But uh, every day I'm writing songs. I probably write 300 songs a year. And uh, yeah, and I'm really I, I, I really take my time with them. And so uh I don't think songs shortage will ever be an issue, and I'm trying to remind myself of that. But there are some that I'm like, oh, that's my baby. You know, I I can see myself singing that one in 10 years uh, for a, a arena full of people. So it's hard. You know, I, I've definitely drawn the, li the line with people that I want uh, to record my songs or that are bucket list cuts or, or friends that I'm like, you know what, like if, if they believe in the song and uh, and they have a plan for it and they got a passion for it, like they can have it. Uh, Last week I got from a text from an artist and I had just recorded the song and uh, for myself and I was going to release it this fall and I got a text from this guy and he was like, man, that's my favorite song I've ever heard. Like, can I please have it? And I'm like, oh man, yeah, you can have it. Like, fine. You know, because uh, he was one of the guys that was above the threshold that I, I'd kind of drawn. And uh, so it, it's, it's definitely getting weird, but, uh, you know, it's a good problem to have. Graylin's perspective on songwriting and his own artistry are really inspiring. I know this guy has a massive career ahead of him, and I was even more sure that when he told me about some of his goals, he had moving forward for himself. I definitely would take it as far as I can. You know, I wasn't gonna. You know, I've been, I've been blessed enough to have songwriting success and uh, enough to where you know I can support myself and uh, build a life here in Nashville just doing that. But um, you know, I've built a team around me, and I, I told myself if I'm going to do this again, you know, because I've been playing shows growing up, and uh, that's why I moved to Nashville was to be the artist singing the songs. I just happened to fall behind the curtain in a good way, but um, I definitely want to. I want to do it, and I want to play arenas. If I was going to do it, I was going to do it big, and so that's the uh, 
that's the goal. I made the promise to Kenny because Kenny was the one that hooked me up with the management company that I'm working with more time and uh, who he's he's also working with, and he told them to take a chance on me. And uh, so I made the promise to him and them that uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna blow this up. I'm gonna do everything I can to make it as big as possible and uh, just be part of something special and try to put out great songs that people can live to for a for a long time to come. And uh, that's the goal. Ohio born. Wyatt McCubbin is on a mission to bring solid songs and strong storytelling back to country music. Since moving to Nashville, he's had his songs recorded by Tracy Lawrence, John Schneider, Josh Ward, Jake Worthington, Jacob Bryant. Oh my gosh, guys, the list goes on and on. But most recently, Cameron Marlowe and Cody Johnson have cut some of Wyatt's songs. Wyatt's obviously a very accomplished songwriter, but he's also an amazing artist. He's able to mix this Midwestern flair with this undeniable, captivating country twang. I got the opportunity to sit down with Wyatt and learn a little bit more about his story. I mean, some of my favorite country singers like Earl Thomas Conley, Bobby Bear, David Allen Coe, um, like tons of guys. Well, uh, let's think on the bluegrass side, the Osborne brothers, a lot of my heroes and idols, um, even in guitar players, Brent Mason that played on tons. I mean, if it's a country guitar with a Telecaster on a record, it's probably Brent Mason. I grew up with so many influences, but I, I always remember hearing about all the people like that, that were from Ohio and thinking, man, that, that's so cool. Uh, one of my favorite songwriters, uh, Bob DePiro, was from Youngstown, Ohio. Um, but growing up in Ohio, you would have to you would have to see where I'm from to truly understand it. It's just a bunch of cornfields and bean fields for miles. I mean, I, I grew up in a little town called Selma that was about five or six miles away from the town I uh, went to high school in. Uh, went to school in my whole life, really, uh, kindergarten through. Uh, high school and you could see the water tower from six seven miles away in that next town and I just it was a very rural area lots of farmers and uh, just blue collar people just real true country music consumers and I didn't realize that until I came here and started seeing okay I'm not coming here to write my songs for these people in Nashville this this is where I have to be naturally and I love Nashville, but I'm writing these songs for the people that um, that I, I miss back where I'm from, really. Um, so all kinds of influences between country music and, and R&B and rock and roll. Uh, my parents always had music on uh, anything from Alabama to Bonnie Raitt, Big Joe Cocker, Stephen Stills, some of those acoustic recordings. Yeah, it, it's a very scatterbrained influence, range of influences, I should say. But uh, Ohio, we, we got to get you up there. I'm telling you what, some of these artists, I'm sure, are telling you, hey, those Ohio folks will get rowdy. <laughs> it's not hard to hear the passion that Wyatt has when he speaks about country music. Being from the Midwest myself, I can vouch that for a fact there are a lot of country music loving folks here. We got to chatting a little bit more about his Ohio roots and even talked a little bit about the state's music festival, Country Concert. First time I played country concert, I I was 15, uh, 16 probably. So it's been 10, 11 years ago. Yeah, 11 years ago. And I opened up for Florida Georgia Line on this little bitty side tent stage, like right before the big boom for them. But I remember thinking, 
even those side stages, man, you could pack a thousand people under there. And they would, there's a side, there, now there's several stages, but those people just walk back and forth. When the main stage was done, they'd walk to the side stage and see uh, whoever the up and comers were. And, and uh, once they were done, they would go back and watch Alan Jackson or, or whoever was at the big stage. So While talking with Wyatt, I learned that he's got a pretty deep directory of his own musical influences. But Wyatt had one artist in particular that really drew him in. The first one would have to be Merle Haggard, just because my dad was a mega fan and probably had every record on cassette tape. He had a, he had a huge like tape player, tape deck with big speakers. And, and I remember uh, the song, My Favorite Memory. I remember how, his, how Merle Haggard's voice rattled in the most perfect way. Rattled isn't even the right adjective. It was like a, I mean, it was thunder coming through those speakers. I remember how big his voice sounded. And the first song I ever learned to play and sing at the same time, it's funny, but uh, are the good times really over for good? I remember strumming that big C chord and uh, somehow realizing that every word wasn't on a different chord. I could just hold that C chord and just keep playing over that verse. But uh, that would have to be the first country artist, the first other just massive uh, eye-opening band was ACDC. I had bought my first record with my first $10 to my name, and it was back in black. And I remember putting it in that little CD player, the, the portable ones back then, and riding the school bus to town listening to Hell's Bells and wondering what these guys looked like. Who, what kind of freak of nature sang like that? And what did he look like? Um, so the guitar hooks on there, a lot of the up-tempo things that I work on on a, on a daily basis are very heavily influenced by some of those guitar hooks because it's not just um, melody and, and uh, lyric hooks that I, that I work on. I really try to find those like catchy things like that. I'm no guitar player like that but but i try to i try to emulate it as, as best as i can and that's that's what guys like dean dylan were doing um back in the day they were taking pop um melodies or hooks like that and putting them to to country lyrics it's no secret i've been a massive wyatt fan for a while now but getting to talk to him one-on-one -on -one made me an even bigger fan guys i actually didn't think that was possible you can tell that he loves to dig deep into the music, which I really connected with. I think that maybe is why we got along so well. But Wyatt knew from a young age that he loved country music. And obviously, because he loved it so much, he started writing his own songs. So I was curious to know if other kids around him in his neighborhood had the music bug just like him. I was. I grew up in sports. My dad, uh, being a Marine Corps, uh, Marine Corps veteran, uh, coached the football team. So he put us through boot camp every year from third grade until the, who knows when. I mean, I, I played football until I was um, a freshman, or sophomore in high school. But I had broken my arm in seventh grade uh, really bad and had a couple surgeries on it. And they said, man, you need to you need some kind of therapy, whether you come in here or you do something with that arm, that wrist. So they mentioned guitar lessons. And I said, well, that." That kind of sounds fun. I, I just do that. I always loved music. I loved it. And I had a couple, uh, I mean, my, my dad's dad, my grandpa played a little bit, strummed three chords and 
turned me on to Hank Williams. And um, those were a lot of the first songs I learned. It, it wasn't an all my life kind of thing. It was literally a lucky break that forced me into playing guitar. And once I picked it up, I, I laid everything else down. I loved baseball. I loved football and uh, even hanging with my friends. But I traded that to go play bars at 15, 16 years old and, and then stay at home and write songs. So that was, that was my life. And, uh, and there were times where I'm like, man, I wish that I, I'm, I don't know. I want to go hang out with my friends. I want to go do this, but that I, I caught the bug with music really bad. And, uh, and just all those, those influences. I mentioned things like ACDC and, and, uh, and I say that because when I started playing guitar, I was seventh, eighth grade. I was kind of a rebellious hellion of a kid that, wanted to play loud stuff but the roots where i was from in ohio was always country music it always came back to cold cold heart and from hank williams it always came back to my favorite memory from earl haggard when i would get tired when my ears would be ringing from acdc i would say i need something that i would turn on Merle haggard i would I, I just i don't know that that was my upbringing in music and once i started writing songs really i got shoved into that too. My mom's dad um, had been sick for a long time uh, with cancer and he passed when I was about 14 and I'd been playing guitar for, uh, I've been playing guitar for probably about a year, year and a half. And that's, I wrote my first song. He, uh, he was kind of getting towards the end and he said, uh, I want to, I want to build us a big house, big house up in the sky. And I thought, Oh, that's, that's interesting. Of course I didn't say that. I, trying to hold back tears, but um, that was the first song I ever wrote. And I, I couldn't strum you one chord on it, but that sent me down the path of truly loving, true loving putting feelings on paper and, and uh, words to music. I had a feeling that Wyatt probably knew he needed to be in Nash after he started honing in on his craft a little bit more. But I wanted to know if there was a specific moment he knew that he needed to make the move to Music City. Well, first of all, there's no place like it. And you do, you can do things outside of here. I mean, the biggest argument is, okay, well, it worked out great for George Strait, you know, he, you know, but still guess where his record label was. Guess where he found all of his songs. It was here. So it, it and that's where it all begins is the song. But, uh, once again, getting forced into something, getting pushed down the road. Uh, I came to town when I was 14. I had about 10 to 15 songs to my name. My parents drove me down. And <laughs> those songs were just, ouch. They were, they were not good. And, but by God, I put them on a CD and I passed those things out like hotcakes and left that CD in a bar at the Best Western across from BMI. And I did not know it, but the house guy, the sound guy was running it as house music over the speakers the week after I left. And a guy named Mark Miller from Sawyer Brown, the lead singer, walked into that bar the week after I left Nashville and heard that and called me on the phone at 14 years old. Next thing I knew, I had a management deal um, yeah, it, it, it doesn't, it gets weirder. Uh, 
well, not weirder, but just it's just crazy. It's just mind blowing how how things like that work. So I'm on a I'm on a management roster with uh, Bucky Covington and Love and Theft and and uh, Sawyer Brown and Casting Crowns. Just all these, yeah, it was insane. Um, that led me to a. Uh, I was on a Waylon Jennings tribute album. They put that together when I was about 15. And uh, some days I wish that would maybe go away, that recording. Um, but other days, it, it was just where I came from. So all that to say, that led me down the path of making trips down here more frequently and meeting people that just inspired me more than ever. So when I was just out of high school, I, I graduated a half a year early just to just to get the heck out of there. I was not a well, I wasn't a bad student. I just didn't want to be there. When I started coming down here at 17, 18 years old and meeting these writers, um, I realized that I hadn't even heard my favorite music yet. I instantly realized that these writers like Dean Dillon, Harley Allen, Tony Lane, uh, even the first guy that brought me here uh, as, a, as a true writer, uh, Billy Yates, I realized that I found my favorite singers and my favorite things to listen to and that that was songwriters singing their songs you know even the ones that couldn't sing I loved it and there's a lot of those you know some days I'm one of those that's when I knew that it was more than just a place on a map it would it it could feel like home at some point and it took a long time to get into those circles that made sense that that I could function in that I could succeed in and write some of my favorite songs to him. So I would say that was when I did. Guys, just listen to the story he tells. I mean, he was meant to be in country music, but he shared a little bit with me about why it's truly so special to be writing for this genre. The phrase, it all begins with the song. There, there is no, uh, and I'm stealing this phrase from even Stevens, one of the greatest songwriters. He has a radio show here every Sunday night, and I remember coming to town, I drove on Sunday nights and I stumbled onto this radio station where he was, he had an hour long program. This guy wrote driving my life away. I love a rainy night, a lot of Eddie rabbit stuff. And he said, there is no um, chicken or egg controversy with this. It all begins with the song. There is no singer. There is no record label. There is no touring. There is no merchandise. There are no titles on shirts at the merch booth um, without the song. So um, I came here to, be an artist and I'm still you know an artist uh, that is a uh, blessing and a curse you know there is no way for me to take my artistry out of what I do I, I feel things a certain way just like the next guy or girl feels things a certain way and that is artistry um, it's a fancy word for a three-minute three-chord song but that's just what it is um, so writing songs that's that's the bones of this entire business. So luckily I got to learn from some of the guys and, and gals that I'd mentioned earlier, uh, people that had had hits when I, long before I even was born, long before I came to town, I got to sit in a room with people, uh, guys like Mark Nestler who wrote just to see you smile and, and uh, things that inspired me as a kid. But learning how to put things together the way they did, it was kind of trial by fire because you showed up 
uh, as the young guy, you, you better have an idea or something to say, or you're not really going to get a second ride because th- these guys have so much to do, so many artists to, to tend to and, and, and relationships to cultivate. And um, that was, you either sink or you swim. And they throw you in there. And luckily, I, I could doggy paddle just good enough to to get a second ride and a third ride and then hopefully get songs cut. But um, songwriters are truly the, the base of the whole thing. And, and you as a fan of country music, but you dive deeper into what makes this thing special. And, uh, and I'm thankful for that because you find guys like me and, and uh, it's just so many other countless people. I mean, it's really special to see uh, artists like Hardy get the recognition they deserve because look at, look at a guy like him who had had tons of hits, but was a, I mean, something special star in his own right. And is finally uh, getting the recognition he deserves getting out there in front of thousands and thousands of people. And um, that, that's the goal is to just touch people with songs. And, and if, if you're an artist as well, you get to go out there and be selfish and sing your own songs instead of, not handing them over, but handing them over. Seriously, I got the chills listening to him talk about his love and passion for songwriting. But something he said got me thinking, how does an artist decide what songs to keep or hand over? I do want to make a record at some point once songs stack up. I want to make a record that's uh, songs that other people recorded and do my thing on them. And, and uh, But I mean... Not every song is something that you were, would record yourself. And that, that's no slight to the song, and that's no slight to the artist that cut the song. Uh, it all comes down to what your brand is. The tricky thing, being an artist and a writer, the longer you do something or, or the, the more success you have in one category, they, uh, some, some people might discount the other side, uh, which I think is kind of a mistake just because if you're, if you're writing songs that other people like good enough to record, like Cody Johnson, this dude's going out there in front of, I mean, I'm getting videos every night. He's kicking off the show with that song. It's, it's, it's just wild, man. And, and, and going back to guys like Hardy, he can do both. And I, I would love to do both for the rest of my life. Um, hey, giving away a song isn't, it's funny. Giving You're not really giving it away because it is benefiting you and you're helping you. I'm able to come to Joe's on Weed Street, and that's right. Come on, shout out to Ed, Ed Warren. Uh, I'm, I'm able to come to Joe's and sing a cover without it being a cover. I'm able to go up and sing Honky Tonk Hardwood Floors, and people sing along and get to tell a story. That's killer. I would, I would sing that song and say Cody Johnson's name over the microphone every night and follow it up with something that I wrote and recorded myself, and I would be happy as hell to do that. I've been lucky enough to see Wyatt here at Joe's on Weed in Chicago and damn he is so good. So I had to ask him a little bit more about his song, my favorite of his, Tearing Down Memories. And if you haven't heard it, you have to go listen. Well the backstory is that that song came about during all those back and forth years for me. Um, I was coming to Nashville every other week from Ohio which was uh, for about six years. So it was a lot of driving. Um, I worked at a little radio station outside of Dayton, Ohio, as a DJ on the weekends. It was me and uh, one of my best pals in the whole world. His name was Chubby Howard. And I was 20 and he was 90. So 
it was an interesting radio show, but we had a ball. Uh, we lost them last year. I miss them every day. But, uh, but, but all that to say, when I would come back home, I, I, even after a week, I would see things changing. And, and that, that process cycle happened every other week for about four or five years uh, before I wrote this song. So it was just on my heart a lot. I, I would come back and I feel like I've been gone for 10 years compared to a week when, when either uh, people would pass away, friends would move away, or businesses in and out, buildings in and out. It is literally the song. Um, but this, the, the song came about, like the song got written because I was in Nashville. I had all that on my mind and I just didn't know how to get it out. I didn't ha really have a title. I didn't know what to say about it. I just knew I knew I wanted to write something of that subject matter. Uh, I pulled up to a red light in Nashville. Uh, there's a roundabout on Music Row called Buddy Killing Circle. And, and it, it's referred to as the naked people statue um, because it's just giant green naked people. But that's beside the point. I pulled up to a red light and across from that light for years and years and years, I don't even know how old that building was. It was old, old brick building had stood there for years and it was a pile of bricks. And I, <laughs> and I, for a second, I, I literally did think I was lost. I thought, wait, did I take a wrong turn or something? That was such a landmark. And you know how that goes when you live in a town, you're not turning on main street, you're turning by the marathon station. Literally, that is your compass, those things. So when I got to the ride, I was riding with Tony Lane and Carson Chamberlain, and I had told them that story, and it kind of fell out just because of the literal tearing down element of that building. Um, tearing down memories fell out. I, can't, I think it was a combination of all three of us saying that title. I don't think any, anyone had that specific title. I wrote the song and it, it went, you know, in a voice memo on my phone and I loved it. Didn't know what to do with it. Um, and then literally this TikTok craze began, which I'm all for it. It gets songs and artists out there in a, in a beautiful way. It's a, it's a tool in a, in a toolbox that's uh, really helpful for guys like me. I put a video of that on TikTok around Christmas time. And I can't even remember, I guess it was the year before last. So late 2020, I didn't think anything about it. I just put like a uh, caption, uh, comment what's changed in your hometown. And I woke up the next morning and it had like a hundred thousand views. I'm like, what the heck is going on? There was thousands of comments saying, Oh, the, my grandpa's pasture is a Walmart now and this and that. And, it blew my mind because I'm thinking, okay, cool. I'm going to get a hundred views on this. I'm, I'm building this platform. I'm working on it. It literally exploded. And I was pretty forced in a good way to record it. I always knew it was special, but I just had to record it after that because I realized how um, relatable it was to everybody, just like you in, in rural Illinois, me in Ohio, uh, anybody out with anybody with a hometown, which everyone has one, it changes. Time changes everything. So I, that's where the song came from for me. And, you know, it was really cool to get to record it because the consumer 
wanted to hear it. I was being selfish as well because I wanted to record it and play guitar on it. And I just love the song, but it was a really cool push from country music fans to put that thing out. This guy is such a gem. But I couldn't end our conversation without asking him one of my favorite questions I ask everybody. So Wyatt McCubbin, how do you define country music? That's a big question. To me, country music is, it's not really one kind of people. It's not really one kind of music. It's not really one kind of, to me, it's, there's, there's two elements of it. When you want to be sad and take a drive at midnight, you put on one kind of Keith Whitley song. You put on I'm Over You. And if you want to go to town and drink beer with your buddies, it's, it's a, you put on a, Don't Rock the Jukebox. Obviously, country music is defined by stories and songs. I think that's the, that's the main answer. But it's, it's a song for every feeling you got. It's a song for every feeling you want to feel. Uh, love, hurt, uh, rowdy, laid back. That, that's what I would say. Hailing from a tiny town called Silva, nestled in the Great Smoky Mountains of North Carolina, is where we will find the hometown of singer-songwriter John Morgan. He grew up immersed in the bluegrass tradition and even toured the festival circuit every summer with his family band. Since then, he's had eight, yes, I said eight cuts for superstar Jason Aldean, as well as his first number one with the extremely popular If I Didn't Love You. Now he's diving more into being a country music artist and bringing his singing talents to the forefront of his amazing songwriting. I was lucky enough to have uh, some of my cousins um, I kind of grew up with, and we kind of we got into music together and uh, grew up playing bluegrass. And so we kind of had our own little band we pieced together and uh, we traveled around for several years doing that and hitting that circuit. And so I I was lucky enough to have a couple people do music with me at that age. So, yeah, it was cool. I love that John was immersed into music even at a young age. I've always been so jealous of people who got to evolve their love of music into something more. John is such an accomplished songwriter, so I wanted to know where his love of songwriting began. Put my feet in the water when I was younger, um, just kind of like I would have an idea and I didn't really understand how to write a concept of a song but i would throw some stuff together and then somehow get to the hook and i did that for you know it was just fun for me at the time and then when i was about 17 18 i guess um, i really started like enjoying writing a song and and really just i guess more so became interested in like how these guys writing these like just paying attention to lyrics and i guess uh concepts and formats of hit songs and uh, i really started my, my interest was peaked for sure uh, when i just started paying attention to it and so that's kind of really when i started um, chasing the writing thing but yeah it took me a minute um to to get there i was always a guitar player first and i did that and and, and sung and so that was kind of that's kind of why I started writing because I wanted to start saying my own stuff and say what I wanted to say, you know? So that's kind of how I got into it. I think it's so interesting that how studying hit songs really piqued John's interest. I mean, it's safe to say that studying really paid off because now he's a hit songwriter himself. But before he wrote that number one, John had a kind of a 
fairy tale moment, one that can only happen in Nashville, Tennessee. I started, I guess, coming down almost four years ago now. I started making trips down to Nashville, and uh, I would just kind of, uh, I would crash on my my buddy Rob had moved down here about a year before me, who is now my drummer. Um, he moved down here about a year before me, and he was like, man, you just need to come down and start writing with whoever will write with you. And so uh, I started doing that, and um, I did that for several months before I actually moved here. But during that time, um, he was like, let's go. We, we just decided to go out to eat one night and um, ended up calling an Uber. And uh, our Uber driver was, you know, he was just talking to us. And he was like, yeah, like I had some cuts with Jason Aldean back in the day. And, you know, we were like, man, that's awesome. You know, super cool. Didn't really think anything of it. He gave us his card and we went our own way. And um, about eight months later, I had a job working at Lucky Brand over at Opry Mills. And so I was just like, you know, folding jeans one day. And this guy walks in and I'm like, man, I know this guy. And um, so I ended up uh, going up to him and just like reintroduced to myself. We remembered, you know, where we had met and it was my Uber driver um, from that night. And so, he was like, man, like send me some demos you're working on and like just whatever you got, just send me some stuff. So I did. And um, long story short, he uh, he ended up setting me up with a right um, with with Aldine's bass and guitarist, who are also you know great writers in town. And um, so I, I get to write with them over Zoom and we wrote a we wrote a song <clears throat> and uh, they ended up liking it and they sent it to Jason. And um, he was like, man, the song's cool, but like, who's singing it and who's singing the demo? And um, so that's kind of how that all happened. And then he just he literally called me up out of the blue one day and was just like, hey, man, it's Jason Aldean. I was like, cut my grass. And he, he just like called me up. He's like, man, I, I really love I love your writing style, but I really you know, I love your voice. And I just started this label and I want to sign you and all this stuff. So it kind of it was crazy um it all was kind of a lot at first but you know i'm very thankful that you know for him especially just believing in me as an artist too because that's something i always wanted to do so the moral of this story is take a lot of ubers when you're in nashville <laughs> how wild since that day he's been deep in the country music songwriting community I got his take on how songwriting and the genre has changed since he started. Yeah, well, I was fortunate enough to, like, when I first got signed, I got put in rooms with some veteran writers, um, people like Mike Delaney, Brett Beavers, um, you know, a lot of those guys um, who just have had, you know, several hits and they know how to write a, a song, they know how to write towards a hook. Uh, and so I was... I still love riding with those guys because I learned something every time in the room with them, you know, as far as like how to approach a verse or how to, you know, get the concept first and then, you know, finish the song. And, you know, just from riding with those guys and kind of some of the stories they told me, um, you know, Casey Beathard's another one who I'm just, I've always been a huge fan of. And, um, you know, they just, from what I hear from them too, the way that the writing styles change in Nashville is like, you know, I feel like there's a lot of, there's a lot less um, time, I guess, 
devoted to like, for instance, they used to, you know, they used to just write a verse. They would spend all afternoon and, and get a verse written. Whereas, you know, today I feel like in town, there's a lot of pressure. Like if you don't have a lyric and a fully produced demo by three o'clock, you're not, you know, you had a bad day. And that's kind of, um, that's kind of how it's changed a little bit. Whereas they used to take their time on, you know, and get the whole concept, piece it together over a couple of weeks or however long it took. Um, it's kind of hard to do that now because now you've got people, you know, they want songs. They got to be turning in songs and, and sending songs out. And so, um, I mean, I, I'm, I can, I feel like I've learned to like do, do both ways, you know, and try to do my best in whatever route we go in. But that's kind of my favorite way to write stuff is just kind of take my time on it. And, um, but that's, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to do that these days. I guess I've really never thought about how quickly songs come together these days. But it makes sense of how quickly songs are moving and people are moving. But I was curious to know about John's number one, If I Didn't Love You. Was that one that came together quickly? Did he know it was going to be a hit when he wrote it? Aldine's guys were going in to cut the album that week. And um, we had another song that we thought was going to be our duet pitch. And they ended up cutting it but not for the duet slot and so um when we figured that out um Tully Jason's basis he was like he hit us up after a couple days that they've been tracking and then been in the studio and he was like man we got a couple more days to shoot for this duet because they haven't picked anything yet he was like if you guys are down to like you know pull a double and and right after you're right tomorrow night like I'm down and uh, Lydia and I both were like, yeah, let's do it. And so um, we wrote that morning and I don't even remember what I wrote that morning, but we had that night. Right. And I remember showing up like pretty tired, like just, you know, not really feeling it. And until um, he had that idea, if I didn't love you. And thankfully we had Lydia in the room to kind of give us the, the girl's side of the story. And um, so it, I don't know, that was one of those songs that it just kind of fell out it was like we got in the room we wrote it in like two and a half three hours i think and it was just like i said one of those things that just fell together and and we kind of cracked the the code on it as probably i guess as fast as we could and um i don't know it was a it was a crazy i i, I had a feeling that it would it would land somewhere you know i didn't know it would be what it became but um because we had no idea who the duet you know who the who the person was going to be so um yeah so it was uh it was hard to that wasn't hard but it, it was it was cool to watch that kind of i guess uh come together and they ended up getting carried on a couple of weeks later so it was just a cool experience overall and especially you know being uh you know my first, both mine and Lydia's, both of our first cut um, as a writer, it was a really cool experience to learn um, from. So, yeah. I truly feel so lucky that I get to dig a little bit deeper with these artists and hear about how some of our favorite songs come together straight from the source. But I also wanted to talk to John about his new single, which I love, Good With Goodbye, and how writing for himself can be a little bit different than writing for others. As of right now, like, I haven't, 
what's been cool about this process is like pretty much the last year and a half I've been riding for Jason predominantly like trying you know that's that was my you know I felt like that's kind of why he signed me and that's what my purpose was at least for the you know that time being of just learning how to write a song and and writing stuff that I've felt like he would like to hear or want to say as an artist himself. And so, um, you know, there was a few times where we wrote a good song, but it, it wasn't, it's not, it wasn't Jason, you know, and a lot of those are ones that I'm putting out for my stuff now, which is kind of cool because it just kind of solved itself. It wasn't, you know, uh, shooting necessarily for somebody or doing that. It was just a good song. And now it's, you know, it landed somewhere and happened to be, uh, with my stuff. So I don't know. I feel like sometimes it, it works that way. Not all the time, but, um, you know, I think going forward, it, there'll be more of a, you know, direct, like we're going to write for my stuff or write for whoever. But, um, these first couple songs are super raw. And the fact of that, like, they were just good songs. I didn't really, a few of them, I was like, man, I want to, that's something I would say. I want to hold on to that one. But for the most part, I've been, you know, it's like if, if somebody else falls in love with it, it wasn't meant for me, you know? And so I try to keep that mindset um, from a writer's standpoint and it's, it's been good so far. So um, yeah, we'll see. Before John actually had to hop off the call to go write another hit song, he shared with me a little bit more about how he defines country music. I love country music. And to me, country music is um, relatability. Like, I feel like, especially true country music, true country music to me, I mean, I grew up on 80s, 90s, early 2000 country and that there was rarely a song that was popular that didn't have a storyline. And most of the time they were sad. We were talking about that earlier. Like <laughs> Quinn said, she had a shirt that said, what does it make country music sad again? And it's true. It's like, it's, it's evolved a little bit in a cool way um, for the most part. But, you know, I think that that to me, like Keith Whitley, you know, just writing songs that rip your heart out and you didn't even know it, you know, like you didn't see it coming. And that, that to me is kind of um, more of what country music is to me. I, I like approaching songs with that kind of mentality. Caitlin Smith is a Minnesota native who also happens to be among the songwriting elite in Nashville, Tennessee. But you might be wondering, how does one achieve such a status? <laughs> well, guys, listen to this. She's written hits for Megan Trainer, John Legend, Kenny Rogers, Dolly Parton, and even Miley Cyrus. Uh, wow. But guys, she's also an accomplished songwriter and an accomplished artist in her own right. Her latest album, High, is one of my favorites and has been a smashing success. After seeing Caitlin perform live in Chicago earlier this year, I knew I needed to hear a little bit more about her story. I do remember the first cassette that I ever owned was Alison Krauss, Now That I Found You. And I remember sitting in front of my boombox and flipping that cassette back and forth. Um, and so, so songs on that record were like, When You Say Nothing At All or 
oh, Atlanta really got me. Like, I love the soulfulness and the melody of that. Um, but it was really that whole album that lit the spark for me. I love Alison Krauss, and I love that Caitlin does too. I asked about when she knew that songwriting was for her, when that bug hit her, and how she feels that she's grown both in her personal and professional career. I caught the songwriting bug pretty early. Um, after discovering that album and the spark being lit, I really was curious about songwriting and what would it be like if I wrote a song. And so I think I was eight or nine when I wrote my first song. And um, it was such a fun thing that I just kept doing it as a as like a preteen and teen. And um, it became this very, very fun thing to express myself and and just like a, a great hobby, right? To just like put melodies together and words. And, um, and then it really turned into almost this therapy for me. And so, um, you know, I'd be struggling with some big teenage emotions and sit down on the piano or pick up my guitar and be able to just like get it out. And so, um, I mean, as a person, music has always been there for me and helped me kind of just like process through this crazy life. It's amazing that songwriters are really able to get to the root of unpacking our universal experiences. The crazy thing is that not a lot of people know that songwriting can be a primary career. So I wanted to know when Caitlin started to take her talent to the next level. I have always thought that being an artist, that was that was always my plan A, you know, that was best case scenario, I wanna be, be an artist. Um, and I made an indie record as a teenager, I was 15, and then took that record and, and my mom drove me to Nashville with it. And um, really just to like see Music City, make connections, and, and it was there and on that trip that I discovered that songwriting is an actual job. Like people have publishing deals, you get paid money just to write songs. And, um, and that kind of just like blew my mind a little bit. I didn't quite realize that there was just a massive songwriting community there. Um, and so that really set me on the course to like that, that's what I wanna do. <laughs> I wanna write. I think I can speak on behalf of all of us when I can say, I am so glad that Caitlin had that aha moment. Since then, she has been garnering quite an impressive resume. And she shared with me the story behind her first big cut. I mean, I had been taking trips from Minnesota to Nashville for years and years and years before finally moving there. Um, and so, you know, I was probably writing songs for four or five years until um, I signed my pu publishing deal. And then about six months into my publishing deal, I get a call and I was on a writing retreat, which was just where songwriters go somewhere else and make stuff up for a couple of days. And um, my publisher had told me that Jason Aldean recorded one of my songs, which was absolutely mind blowing, um, to have such a major artist record, my, have have be my first cut, which was it was, it was crazy. <laughs> wow, what a solidifying moment for Caitlin in her career, and clearly she hasn't slowed down since then. But her talent goes beyond country music, and she's been able to write for many different genres. But of course, I had to ask her about my one true love, country music. I wanted her take on why writing for country was so special and maybe a little bit different than other genres. For sure, it's different. 
Um, but it also depends on the artist too, because there are there are a lot of country artists that lean more more pop. Um, but I would just say the specificity in the song, and so. Um, a lot of country songs, they aren't afraid of using very specific scenes and like, you know, spelling it out. Um, where pop music tends to be a little more like general emotion. Um, but also when I moved to town versus now, that's also changed a lot too. Um, and so I think then I would say it leans mostly on melody. Um, you can tell when there's like a very, very poppy hook um, and country hooks, uh, or at least melodies in country music seem to be a little more interesting. It was amazing getting to witness Caitlin's insights and diverse talent firsthand. Having written for many genres, there's been a lot of people who have had a chance to work with her and witness her talent up close. Despite her talent, there is something that might unfortunately stand in her way. I hate saying this, but it's being a woman. The fact of the matter is, there are more male songwriters than female. So she shared with me a little bit more what it's like to be strong and sometimes the only woman in the writer's room. I mean, I just feel happy to be here. I feel very, very grateful. You know, when I first moved to town, there was a couple females that were just killing it. And I, you know, have looked up through, through, the, year, through the years like Liz Rose, Lori McKenna, Hillary Lindsay. Um, and they really, like guided the way for me of like, all right, you can do this. Um, but one thing that was interesting is when I moved to town, um, there wasn't really any female producers. And I, I've always been curious about that element of it. I've always been interested in that element of it, of production and what would it sound like to make my own record. And so um, it was an interesting place to be because I, I grew up in Nashville not really having, I had songwriter women to look up to artists women to look up to but there was no one really doing that and so um you know just on this last record i i took a leap of faith on myself really and decided to produce this record um and it was like a therapy process right of doing something that i'm afraid of it was good to do but if i zoom out too, like an even bigger reason why i wanted to do it was really to show other women coming up or in this industry that like, you can do this too, right? Um, and I feel like that that's been my, that's been like my hope and dream in Nashville, you know, as I've spent the last decade there writing songs is that I can reach down to the next generation and be like, hey girl, like you can do this too. You can be a mom and write songs and perform, do whatever you want, right? Um, so that's the long winded answer of it is that I've had great role models um, and just my hope and dream is to be that for somebody else. She is such an inspiration and she put that so well. I guess there's a reason she's a songwriter, right? She started out songwriting but has now made the switch into singing her own songs as well. Well, I go through seasons and I think I'm maybe a unique writer artist because I do love writing for other people and they'll just, there'll be seasons where I can kind of feel it. I'm like, I don't really feel like writing songs for myself. Like I want to dig around in someone else's brain and help them get the songs. And I'll really feel that. I'll be like, okay, just, I'll tell my publisher, just, you know, try and schedule me with artists so I can work with other people right now. And then I'll feel a shift. I don't know what it is, but I think I just get 
I start to get more ideas for myself that I'm writing down. I'm holding over here. Um, and then I know it's time to kind of shift into, all right, I think I'm ready for an album. Um, let's just start uh, getting it out. <laughs> I gotta say, it's impossible to get through Caitlin's new record without absolutely loving the standout track, Hi. So she shared with me all the details and the process of bringing that song to life. The, the idea of this song came to me just sitting in a hotel room in LA, just sitting on the bed and like wrote that whole like first verse. And I was like, I don't know what this is. And I took it to a good friend of mine, Jen DeSilvio. And I was like, I don't know what the chorus is. Like, this is all I've got. Like, what do I do? And so, and it was something in the room that day. She was like, what if it's this? And like spits out this chorus. And it was, it felt like such a serendipitous like moment. And one of those days as a writer you look for where it's like, yeah, that's what I was trying to say the whole time. This is great. And like the collaboration of the song, I mean, it's just this special feeling of like, I mean, we, we all know, like there's those people that kind of sit in the past, right? And like when they come up, it's like bittersweet, but also like, wow, that was, that was special, right? Um, and I just, I love the gospel, like elements of this song. I love singing it from my toes. Um, but this feeling of like, you hear a lot of love songs that's like, I think of you and I'm totally ruined. Like, and it breaks me in half. But, but you know, to sing a song that's like, I think of you and it's like, hey, that, was, that was pretty cool. <laughs> Caitlin has this incredible quote on her website. She says, if a song doesn't give me chills, I don't want to put it on the record. You know me, I had to dig a little bit deeper into the meaning of that quote. You know, I definitely went through like a chill test for that Supernova record. I was like, does this make me feel? And that's really what it comes down to. Like, do I believe this song? And so when I go through, when I go through like the hundred plus songs that I've written in the, you know, in two years um, to make a record, I list, I'm listening for that. I'm listening for like, do I, do I really truly believe this? Does this really make, move me, make me feel something? Does it make me want to dance? cry? Does it make me uncomfortable because it's so true? Um, so I'm always looking for not just putting out like, meh, like that's a song. That's pretty good. It sounds like a hit. If I can hear someone else singing it, um, it's hard for me to release it. Like, but if I'm like, this is my song, I want to be the only one singing it, then I know. Breakthrough country artist Nico Moon has been turning heads in Nashville for over a decade now as both a songwriter and a singer. While he's new to the solo artist scene, Nico has been hitting the pavement on Music Row for quite some time now. Although he's had a lot of success in songwriting for other artists like the Zac Brown Band, Dirk Bentley, and even Morgan Wallen, he recently started out his venture as a solo artist. I was lucky enough to sit down and chat with Nico a little bit more about his path to his debut solo album, Good Times. I grew up in a musical house. My mom and dad are both uh, play, play musical instruments and sing. And uh, uh, my father especially is a song, songwriter as well. So I, I got real lucky. I won the lotto on that one. From the time I was can remember, there was a, a nurturing of my curiosity in music, you know? And it was always posed as an option for me in life, you know, not as a hobby. But if it's something that I love, that if it's what I wanted to do, that I could, you know. Um, and I think that's huge, you know, to 
looking back on it that as a kid, you know, I was, I was, uh, made available to believe in myself in that kind of way with music that I think typically maybe, you know, you would want to tell, you know, kind of maybe caution, uh, going full head steam with that being the only plan you got or something like that. In my house growing up, it was like John Prine was always playing. Um, my dad's a big John Prine fan, uh, Patty Griffin, uh, like a lot of, a lot of songwriters, like a Americana type songwriters were my parents, like big love. Uh, the Eagles were always playing in the house, that kind of stuff. And then when I got older, I just started, you know, and started, you know, cause when you're a kid, you just basically, your taste is your parents' taste. You, you listen to what they listen to cause they got control of the radio or at least they did in my house. <laughs> and then when you get older, you start listening, exploring and just what's all out there. And I like to think of myself as a, as a, world explorer when it comes to that uh i love everything when it comes to me i just love music to me uh i don't really think of it in boxes of or anything like that if, if i like it i like it you know i mean i'm a country artist you know that's my heart that's the music i love to make but i love listening to everything you know so uh yeah my influences are from everything from uh uh you know travis tritt the outcast you know just and I think that's most people, you know, most people like everything these days. I love that the option to pursue country music was always there for Nico. But I also love that he says that his taste ranges from Travis Tritt to Outcast. <laughs> I can definitely see that reflected in his songs in his own personal style. Although he's always had country music as an accessible career choice, I wanted to know when he decided he was going to go all in. My dad was a truck driver. And my mom did a bunch of different jobs, waitress and a bunch of different things. Um, but they love music and love writing music. And so I quit college. <laughs> so they were really on board with the music thing while, when, when I was in college. But when I quit college, it got a little concerning. <laughs> and I ended up taking up a job doing construction during the day so that I could gig at night. And that's pretty much what I did for a long time in, uh, in Georgia, where I'm from, playing uh playing bar gigs at night, uh, kind of honing my craft and cutting my teeth, learning uh, what works and what doesn't, you, you know, work, you know. And I got fortunate enough to cross paths with Zach Brown at that, during that time in my life. And that's what really kind of like, I think, took me from, at that point, I, I wanted to do music for a living and I kind of was in like a, sim, you know, part-time way as far as doing it at night, but I didn't know how to go to the next place. I didn't know what, what do you do? You know, I wasn't smart enough to realize I need to move to Nashville, you know, and I met Zach and, and he really helped me out and, and, and kind of became a mentor for me and, and kind of showed me the difference between writing a good song and a great song and what that difference is. I spent 10 years on the road with them, uh, writing songs with them and helping them be the best band they could be. And it was a great, experience for me was I kind of think of that as my that that ended up being what life had for me as my education I kind of did my schooling on the road with them I don't know about y'all but I definitely want to go to the school of Zach Brown <laughs> I love that Nico got to dive deep into his craft writing for a great country artist during those years he has had countless number ones with Zach Brown band during those years just like any other songwriter, overflowing with talent, Nico knew that he had to be in Nashville. 
So I wanted to know about his journey in Nashville and how he handled the ups and downs in Music City. I was really lucky because when when I moved up, I had, I think at that point, I think me and Zach maybe had three or four number ones together. Fortunately, I was able to come in to town and get a publishing deal immediately. Um, and for anybody listening, if, if you're curious about what that means, it's basically kind of like how an artist gets a record deal and a record label help, helps the artist break. A publishing deal is kind of like a record deal f- for a songwriter where you're, uh, what they do is they set you up uh, to write with other people who are, you know, really good and really, you know, writing songs for, for big artists. And they put you on, they get you in, in rooms with these people and get you in rooms with uh, other, with artists. If you're a full-time songwriter, you know, with different artists and hopefully what you write with them, you know, gets out there, you know? And uh, it was a great experience because uh, at the time I had only written songs alone or it was that. And so I knew how I, how I wrote, I knew how me and Zach wrote and that was it, you know, but there's a million different ways to build, build that, to build a song, you know, is how I think of it, almost like building a house and coming to Nashville was such an amazing experience because uh, every day you're writing with a new person that you've never met before and you're getting insight into how they think about writing a song and they have their way. And after years of doing that every day, a different person, you kind of build your own wall of what you, what you kind of like that someone else did what you didn't like, you know, and you build up your own kind of way of doing it. And so I was able to kind of just develop my own little way. I like to write, write. And now me and my wife, we write all my music together. So we just kind of do it our way. I'm obsessed with the fact that Nico writes with his wife, Anna being co-writers. I wanted to know how they decide to keep songs for Nico or give them away to another artist. I've always thought of myself as an artist, I think, but like I said, the songwriting door kind of opened up and I thought to myself, you know what? I'm so grateful that I get to like be a part of music. I'm riding around on a tour bus with, you know, this superstar of a country artist uh, writing songs for him or, or writing songs with him and uh, getting this unbelievable experience. Like what a blessing life has been, you know, but in my heart, there was this, um, I think uh, it does um, an itch to scratch to kind of put uh to make music in the way that uh i i heard it if i was to completely just do it the way i would do it you know uh and but it's fun when you write with other artists because it's almost like painting a picture with somebody else you know so it's fun it's like they do some stuff you do some stuff you, you paint some paintings they paint some paintings and it's a collaborative thing you know but in your head you always think if i was to paint in my way what how would i paint it Event, uh, you know, eventually, you know, I finally like got the courage, uh, you know, and especially from my wife, you know, really inspiring me to want to, you know, put put something out that was just me, me and her decided we were just going to do it just us. And we wrote all the songs at the house and we we put it out there and was so surprised at how it took off and how many people just resonated with the music that we make and uh, have come around us to support us and lift us up and love on us and give us this life. I mean, it's just a, we wake up every day and just look at each other and are just like, wow, this is crazy. I never would have thought that, that, that enough people that it, that, you know, it takes a lot of people to give up an artist a life in this where they can actually do it for a living and travel around and like actually do it for a living. And, uh, to 
have that much support and that much love from country music fans is crazy. I mean, that the feeling of that is inexplainable. So every night you just get up on stage and you just get this feeling, overwhelming sense of gratitude that you're doing your purpose in life, that you're doing what you're meant to do. And it not only are you doing it, but it, 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 it was a gift that was given to you. Um, by thousands of people. I mean, so you just get overwhelmed with gratitude from it. It's it's a really cool feeling. Painting a picture with someone else. Wow, what a statement. Both of Nico's parents were songwriters, and that got me thinking. I kind of had an aha moment during this interview. So I asked Nico if he realized that he is creating a similar dynamic with his own family. I have not thought about that. Um, that's cool. There might be a song in that thought. Nico, I'm so sorry, but I'm going to need credit on that song when it comes out. But speaking of great songs, Nico wrote one of my favorite songs off the hit Morgan Wallen album. So naturally, I had to ask him all about it. That was a song that I wrote in a songwriting session with my buddy, uh, Benny Benny Burgess, or Ben Burgess. And um, Ben has recently uh, come out to the world as an artist. And I'm so excited about this because uh, Nashville, the songwriting world has known about Ben for a long time. I've known about Ben for years because we've been writing songs together for years. Ben wrote Whiskey Glasses for Morgan Wallen. Uh, Me and Ben wrote this song together for Morgan. He's on a ton of stuff for other big country artists too. Ben is a force and not only has been an amazing songwriter, but he's an amazing artist too. And I think that's the secret that everyone in Nashville has known for a minute and has been just waiting for when it was actually going to happen for him to actually come out, you know, because for years I'm just like, bro, you're an artist. Like you're, you're, I can't even tell you how artisty you are. I mean, you, you have, you are such a thing and it's such a unique thing that you got it. You got to make your own music. And, and so he recently signed with Big Loud, who is a Morgan Wallen and Hardy's label that they're on. So I'm really excited. We're actually uh, next week or here or no, tomorrow, I think uh, I'm playing a show with him. He's opening up for me. So uh, so I can't wait to see him and everything. But uh, anyways, we wrote that song together. And I remember uh, Ben started. He grabbed my banjo off the wall. I got a wall of like instruments in, in, in my studio and it's just like uh, every kind of different one you can think of acoustic guitars, basses, electric guitars, uh, banjos, bazookis, which are like Celtic instruments and just anything, ukulele, whatever. And uh, he picked up a banjo and started playing that riff, you know, yeah. and uh, I just started kind of like singing on top of it, the first lines of the song. I bought a Harvard sweatshirt off Goodwill Ray. I love that Nico brought up an another amazing country music song fighter. He's had an amazing successful career in all aspects being a singer-songwriter. But I wanted to know what advice Nico has for other country music song fighters looking to elevate their career. The advice I would give is if you're a country songwriter, you gotta go, you gotta go to Nashville. Like period. I don't I don't care. I don't care where you are, how big the city is, how how uh, hopping the scene is there. If you are an aspiring country songwriter, country music songwriter, you have to move to Nashville, Tennessee. To everything is there. All all of the other songwriters are there. All of the country artists are there. All of the uh, 
record labels, publishing, houses, everything's there, you know? Uh, except for, I would say, like, gig- I mean, George Strait lives in Texas, but George can do that. Because <laughs> he's George, you know? But as a songwriter, you got you to be there because that's where all the songwriting sessions are, you know? And what you want to do is you, you, you just want to be yourself. A lot of people, whether they're an aspiring artist or an aspiring songwriter, when you first start out, you can't help but kind of sound like your heroes. I did personally, you know, because you grow up idolizing certain artists, uh, certain songwriters, certain certain country artists. And then when you first start making music, it just kind of sounds like them. That's just how it works. And over time, you you figure out what's your voice, what's your thing, what's your style of songwriting, what's your sound or whatever, you know. So uh, figuring that out and just being yourself is the key, I think, you know, because uh, when you get to town, everybody's good, like everybody. And they're really, really, really good. And there's thousands of them, thousands upon thousands. It's a sea of songwriters and artists. And to be able to like cut through the noise, you can't sound like, like Luke Bryan. There's already a Luke Bryan. You can't sound like Luke Combs. There's already a Luke Combs. You can't sound like Morgan Wallen. There's already a Morgan Wallen. You know what I mean? So you got to sound like you and it's got to sound like nobody else, you know? Um, or if you're a songwriter, you know, it's like, you got to be your, your own thing, you know? Uh, so if you just get to town and, and, and be yourself and then do your best to get plugged in, go to every open mic night you can go to every round you can't songwriter round, go to every bar that you've heard that you find out, you know, artists go to or songwriters go to and try to make friends, get plugged in, you know, like you got to want it. You got to be hungry like a wolf, you know, cause, uh, Cause uh, there's only, you know, so many people that, that are lucky enough to get to do this. And if you want to be one of those few, like you gotta, you gotta want it bad. Well, y'all, if these five singer songwriters don't represent the word song fighter to a T, I don't know what to tell you. Songwriters truly are the backbone of the genre. And it's clear that each fighter defines each and every one of the people who make up this special group of songwriters. Be sure to check out all of my guests' upcoming projects. Graylin James's new EP, I Hope She Hears These, is a must-listen, and it's out now. My buddy Wyatt McCubbin is out on the road with good friend and co-writer Cameron Marlowe. John Morgan's song Good With Goodbye has been on repeat in my house, so make sure you go check it out. My girl Caitlin Smith is keeping busy on the road to promote her amazing album High. Guys, you have to go listen to it. The energetic Nico Moon is on the road. Plus, his new song, Can't Wait to Love You, is out now. Once again, my name is Bobby Dixon, and I am the founder of Backstage Bobby, a country music news outlet that highlights Chicago's country music scene. Follow me on Instagram, at Backstage Bobby, And be sure to subscribe to the Country Confidential podcast to hear more insider info directly from all of your favorite country music artists. Country Confidential.
the All Country News Country Confidential Podcast is produced by me, Ashley Kim. I also executive produce alongside my team at Horseshoe Media. You can submit your artist, organization, or event to us at allcountrynews.com for a chance to be featured. If you love this episode, please rate and review our podcast wherever you're listening. And a huge shout out to our friends from Restless Road who recorded our amazing theme music for this podcast. All Country News. For more, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at All Country News. Visit us at allcountrynews.com to join our birthday club and subscribe to our weekly industry newsletter. Check out a new episode of Country Confidential every month right here. All Country News.